The strategies that work for them for maintaining their weight in their 20s and 30s are very different as they start getting closer to menopause. And it's unfortunate. It's for a variety of factors, some of which we have control over, some of which we don't. Welcome to the High Performance Health Podcast with your host, Angela Foster. The show where we talk about everything you need to break through limits and achieve a high performance mind, body and lifestyle. Hi friends, in today's episode, we're going to be talking about how you can get really metabolically healthy. So many people are not truly metabolically flexible, which is where you can burn fats and carbs on demand. And this is really the ultimate state for your body. Many people are just constantly burning sugars as fuel, and this can lead to low energy. It can lead to lower mood. It can lead to fatigue during the course of the day. Generally, if you're good at burning fat, then you tend to have more stable blood sugar and a more stable mood and energy rhythm across the day. And one of the ways to achieve metabolic flexibility is to use a really good intermittent fasting protocol that can help you with this. But fasting is very misunderstood and it's a tricky area for women, especially women who are menstruating, who are subject to different changes in their hormone levels across the month. And so in today's episode, I'm really thrilled to be sitting down with Cynthia Thurlow talking all about metabolic flexibility and intermittent fasting. We discuss the difference between over-exercising and under-exercising and why neither are good and how you can really optimize that for yourself. We talk about the impact of sleep and stress and also why for women who are very lean, then long fasting periods may not be the best idea. We also talk about carb cycling and why carbohydrates are still a very important part of your diet. So be prepared to get ready and sit down and learn a lot. As always, the show notes are on my website over at AngelaFosterPerformance.com. So you don't need to actually take notes yourself. You can head over there and get the show notes and also um, take the transcript down as well. Um, so I want to introduce you to Cynthia. Cynthia is the CEO, CEO and founder of the Everyday Wellness Project. She's a nurse practitioner and international speaker and globally recognized expert in intermittent fasting and nutritional health. She has over 20 years experience in health and wellness and is a two times TEDx speaker. Her second talk, Intermittent Fasting, a Transformative Technique, has over 9 million views. And Cynthia has been featured on ABC, Fox 5, KTLA, CW, and in Medium and Entrepreneur. And in August 2020, Cynthia was listed in Yahoo Finance as one of the 21 founders changing the way we do business. She's also the podcast host of Everyday Everyday wellness, which was listed as 21 podcasts to expand your mind in 2021 by Business Insider. And Cynthia's mission is to educate women on the benefits of intermittent fasting and overall holistic health and wellness. So they feel empowered to live their most optimal lives. And she's going to help you do exactly that in today's episode. So without further delay, let me introduce you now to the lovely Cynthia Thurlow. So I'm absolutely delighted to be joined today by Cynthia Thurlow. She has an absolutely brilliant TED Talk, if you haven't watched it yet, all about intermittent fasting, which is one of the key topics we're going to be talking about on this podcast today. Welcome to the show, Cynthia. It's so amazing to have you here. Thank you. I've been really looking forward to our discussion. 
Yeah, me too. Me too. Ever since Dr. Anna, a former guest, introed us. Um, so let's get started because we were talking just before earlier about metabolic flexibility. And I think this is so important and something that's not well understood by that many people, but it really is key to health and longevity. So I think that's probably a good place to start. Can you explain what metabolic flexibility really is? Yeah, absolutely. And, and when we really reflect on the fact that most Western countries most individuals are not metabolically healthy. And what that means is that they are able to process their food efficiently. They are not dependent on, um, you know, being a sugar burner, which is a terrible explanation for the fact that most of us are eating all day long. We are eating mini meals. We're eating snacks. We're drinking sugar, sweetened beverages. And that's not the way our bodies are designed to thrive. Our bodies are really designed to eat two to three meals a day, to drink plenty of water, to get plenty of rest, to exercise appropriately, not punish our bodies, to get light exposure, to get out in nature. And so as we have become a much more kind of structured society, we have lost touch with the way our bodies are designed to not just survive, but thrive. And so when I talk about metabolic flexibility, it means you can manage your blood sugar. It means that your body appropriately can switch back and forth between using fats as a fuel source or using carbohydrates. And when you're metabolically flexible, you can switch back and forth. It means that you are fueling your body with the appropriate macronutrients, protein, fat, and the appropriate types of unprocessed carbohydrates. You're getting plenty of sleep. Uh, you know, we were talking about our aura rings. And so you know, one of the things I think is really interesting is looking at sleep quality. And we know that sleep quality is critically important for managing and balancing hormones, not just for women, but also for men. And so really looking at our bodies through the lens of how are our bodies designed to thrive? They are not designed to slow down with age. They are not designed to lose muscle mass. They are not designed to uh, put on weight indiscriminately. But unfortunately, we've convinced ourselves we've been you know, we've bought into this dogma that, you know, whatever the age is 40, 50, 60 or beyond that somehow at a certain age range, we lose control of things. And so I always like to point out that metabolic flexibility is really harnessing the way that our bodies are intrinsically designed to do well and be most efficient, like an efficient machine. Not that I like to, uh, you know, compare ourselves to machinery, but our bodies are really designed to eat less often they are designed to do more high quality sleep and be physically active and not sit in an office underneath artificial light all day long and eat highly processed, hyper palatable food. So when I talk about metabolic flexibility, I think it's really the key on so many levels for health and longevity. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And I mean, not being able to control your blood sugar is one thing that I think a lot of people, mm -hmm. maybe they don't even realize, but they are struggling with when you get that kind of hangry feeling, for example, where you just need to eat. But what are some of the other things that they might be sort of looking out for to understand mm -hmm. that they are not metabolically flexible? What would be the kind of struggles they experience? Yeah. So first and foremost, if you're not able to go one or two hours without being hungry after a meal, you're not, you're not setting yourself up for, uh, you know, putting your meals together in a way that's going to keep your blood sugar sustained and keep it stable. You know, each time we eat our body secretes a hormone called insulin and insulin is not in and of itself a bad hormone. I always like to point that out, but if insulin is kept elevated because you're eating all day long, that is problematic. So first and foremost, if you are getting hungry 
an hour or two after eating a meal, you didn't put your meals together properly. Number two, if you are tired in between meals, it's a sign that your blood sugar is either too low or too high. Sometimes people get sleepy after a meal because their blood sugar just has to spike. Like we are, your body in response to the foods that you're eating is working hard. Your body's always trying to stay in a state of homeostasis where it's trying to manage and mitigate uh, massive fluctuations in your blood sugar. Ideally, our bodies really want to keep us, you know, between, you know, 10, 15, 20 points of our blood sugar going up and coming back down. But in most cases, you know, westernized societies, the highly processed foods that people are eating, their blood sugars are all over the place. So number two, you're getting tired after meals. You're hangry. You know, you mentioned being hangry. Hangry is not a good thing. If your child is two years old and they can't communicate that they're hungry, that's very different than a grown adult who gets really grumpy or disagreeable in between meals. That's a good sign. Another one is if you have trouble losing weight, oftentimes it's because your blood sugar is dysregulated. And this could be as simple as you have reactive hypoglycemia, which means you eat a meal and your blood sugar has a, a massive response where it gets very low. And you know, again, our bodies work very hard to maintain our blood sugar within a certain parameter, but over time, as your cells get less sensitized to the effect of insulin, that can become problematic. So trouble losing weight is another piece of that. And I think just overall energy, you know, people that are um, using fat for fuel are going to have consistent energy throughout the day. Whereas people who are sugar burners are going to eat a meal, they're going to get tired. They're going to drink a Coke. Then they're going to have a little bit more energy. Then maybe they get a candy bar because they're feeling tired. So it's the inconsistencies with energy. It's not sustained. It's highly variable. And those are big signs that there's something amiss. And one of the things I think is really helpful and beneficial and very insightful, quite honestly, irrespective of where you are on the trajectory of metabolic flexibility is to know your numbers. And by know your numbers, I mean, either purchase a glucometer so you can check your blood sugar, you know, when you wake up in the morning and after meals or have a continuous glucose monitor, which are pretty prevalent here in the United States. Although most insurance companies will only cover them if you're insulin resistant or diabetic, which I think is a shame. And actually I think it's criminal, but a lot of my patients that are metabolically flexible will actually wear a continuous glucose monitor or use a glucometer so they can monitor their blood sugar response to specific meals. Because, you know, as we had touched on before, we're all individuals. And so you may be able to eat sweet potato, but perhaps I can't, and maybe your best friend can have plantains, but you can't. And so finding out like what your blood sugar response is to a particular meal is hugely impactful. And it also ties into that whole, like, what are you using as your primary fuel source? You know, we need to eat carbs and, and fats. I want to be clear about that, but most, if not all of us are eating the wrong foods at the wrong time and far too frequently. Now, if you're someone like me who is very carb sensitive and struggles sometimes with controlling their blood sugar, or maybe you just want to enjoy the occasional indulgence and limit the damage, then you're going to be excited to hear about a new product that's been released by Bioptimizers called Blood Sugar Breakthrough. And this is a very cool supplement that helps to increase blood sugar uptake into the muscles rather than fat cells and helps to improve exercise performance and muscle gain, stabilize and promote healthy blood sugar levels and improve 
improve carbohydrate metabolism while improving your energy level and overall well-being and neutralizing oxidative damage from high blood glucose. And you can get a cool 10% off blood sugar breakthrough by heading over to buyoptimizers.com forward slash Angela and entering code Angela10 at checkout. That is buyoptimizers.com forward slash Angela and enter coupon code Angela10 at checkout. Now let's get back to the show. You make such a great point there about the individuality. And I, I tried it with my husband. We actually like tested our genetics. Mm-hmm. I'm much more carb sensitive. Yeah. Um, we then wore continuous blood glucose monitors. And you could see we like, what would the effects of a juice be on mine and his? So I we did a celery and carrot juice. Obviously, then all the fibers were removed. No fruit in it, really. Um, and my blood sugar just spiked really, really fast because it's an unopposed carb, right? We weren't having anything else mm-hmm. with it. Whereas for him, it was still very moderate. And I just think there's so much value in that for people, isn't it? Just yeah. understanding. And I always say to women to do it for 28 days. So you've got the whole cycle. You can track at least. Um, but yeah, I think there's so much value in it. Absolutely. And fasting because this is a this is a big topic right and people get really really confused especially for women because Mm -hmm. of the impact the fact that most of the studies have been done on men who are Mm -hmm. obese and are not moving and it can impact women's hormones um children i find easily fast very naturally for 12 Mm -hmm. to 14 hours and my experience with women is that works super well as well it's kind of quite individual taking Mm -hmm. it beyond that i know you've done tons of research on this Mm -hmm. and also worked with so many people on it what have you found for women is the optimal fasting window well i think it depends on what life stage someone is in um and i'll give you an example so a very thin lean woman still in peak fertility years is going to have less ability to fast consistently as opposed to someone who's obese and menopausal. And so everyone's in between there. And a lot of the research, as you mentioned, is done on lab animals, men and obese menopausal women, and not a lot in between because uh, what I find is I think most researchers are afraid to uh, have all the variables of what phase of a woman's cycle is she in while we're doing this, this testing, We know that very lean women in particular have to be careful about fasting for very long lengths of time. In fact, uh, Ted Naiman, who's, uh, you know, one of, one of my favorite, you know, fasting experts was talking about the diminishing law of returns as it pertains to fasting. So a little bit of fasting is good for a lean individual, a lot or very lengthy fast. You have to really think about like the diminishing law of returns. Now, if someone has weight to lose, if someone's insulin resistant, if someone is diabetic, uh, that is very different. You can push the needle quite a bit more. And as we're seeing more and more PCOS or polycystic ovarian syndrome, and again, metabolic disorders in younger and younger people, um, they probably have a lit, a, a bit more flexibility. So if you're, if you're thin and lean and you're like 25 to 30 fasting once or twice a week, I think is completely fine. Keep giving yourself digestive rest of 12 hours a day, completely fine. Doing a lengthy fast, probably not a good idea. Now, if you're in, you know, thirties and forties, you're in perimenopause, this, you know, five to seven years preceding menopause, it's so highly dependent on you as an individual. How's your sleep? How's your stress? Um, you know, are you over-exercising? Are you over-restricting your calories? Because I find for a lot of people, the strategies that work for them for maintaining their weight in their twenties and thirties are very different as they start getting closer to menopause. And it's unfortunate. 
It's for a variety of factors, some of which we have control over, some of which we don't. Uh, we know that sarcopenia, which is this muscle loss with aging, accelerates after the age 40. We know the bulk of our bone mass and our muscle mass is achieved in our 20s and early 30s. And so if you're not working diligently on those things, as you head into middle age, that will become more problematic. So this is where I oftentimes will say to people, we really have to dial in on the lifestyle piece. So like lifestyle medicine is a huge focus of the work that I do, really educating women about timing of using, using intermittent fasting as a strategy. Where are you in your fertile years? If you are menopausal, you have a, you have a lot more state stability to most of your hormones than you do when you're still cycling. And so I'll give you an example. We know the first two weeks of a woman's menstrual cycle during the follicular phase, there's a lot more flexibility with fasting. If you're going to do a longer fast, if you're going to do lower carb, it all works out pretty well. After you ovulate, as you get closer to menstruation, I usually say the five to seven year, days preceding menstruation, you really want to back off on fasting. You can go back to that 12 or 13 hours of digestive rest. That's completely fine. But we know women become less insulin sensitive and they need a little bit more in terms of caloric intake. I don't like to talk about calories, but this is a time when you can have a little bit larger portion of carbohydrates and your body actually needs them. Um, and we know that our body can make carbohydrates from protein, but this is actual carbohydrate intake. And I find when women back off on the intensity of fasting that week before their menstrual cycle, they adjust their carbohydrate intake. They generally do very, very well. And then as soon as they start having a bleed day, they can go back to, you know, fasting. And so with those adjustments, I find that it's very, very effective. What I do find interesting is in perimenopause and menopause, if women are not sleeping well and they're struggling with weight, I always say work on the sleep piece first. Like that is so, so important. Um, if you can't sleep through the night, don't fast. You need to figure out why you're not fasting. And it's not as simple as taking melatonin or drinking cranberry juice or whatever the latest, you know, well-meaning, uh, you know, health pro out there is suggesting people need, you know, tart cherry juice, I think is the, the thing that people I see suggesting. I'm like, the last thing I suggest is juice like the last thing right before bed. So I, I think it really depends on the individual. It depends on what your goals are. I think a lot of people come to fasting, especially women for changes in body composition, but they end up staying for a lot of the other benefits because they feel so good. They're like, this makes sense to me. I'm not hungry in the morning. I'd rather have a cup of coffee or have some green tea or just drink some water with electrolytes. I'm happy doing that. You mentioned that children, you think naturally, gravitate towards fasting. I have a kiddo who honest to goodness, oftentimes on the weekends, won't eat till 10 o'clock in the morning. And he's a very active competitive swimmer and people sometimes express concern. And I said, I honestly let him eat based on how he feels. If he's really hungry, he'll have a massive lunch and then he'll have a massive dinner. And I'm like, he's still getting his macros in, but he's listening to his body. And I think more of us need to do that. We really need to listen intrinsically to the, you know, the cues that our body is trying to provide us with to identify when it's hungry and when it's true hunger, as opposed to just boredom. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I have the same. My middle one is also a, a big swimmer mm -hmm. and he'll easily fast on certain days. He'll have a long lie and he's kind of mm -hmm. recovering, right? We need to focus on that recovery. But then I think the critical difference is he'll then get up and have a big meal that involves a lot of protein. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people are, they're having breakfast and there's no protein. This is right. one of the hardest battles I find when working with people is to persuade them that they need to have protein and they don't feel like it. But yeah. then 
a carb always feels more appetizing in the in the morning, but maybe you're just not hungry yet. If you can't right. eat protein, maybe you're not hungry. Um, and I think it's just understanding your own body, isn't it? And almost mm -hmm. journaling on that and working out and seeing how your heart rate variability is affected, how your recovery is and finding that window for you. But as you know, as well, I, like I found with kids, they are metabolically flexible, mm -hmm. uh, flexible because they can play and forget. So mm -hmm. their body is just, they've forgotten about hunger and now they're just in fat burning mode. And I think yep. if, as adults, we could do more of that. We would be so much healthier. Absolutely. Um, and I, I love that you touched on protein because this is an area in particular for women that they really don't do a good job with. And I blame, you know, the, the dogma about, oh, breakfast is the most important meal of the day. And let's load up on cereal and pop tarts and bread and all these other things. And I remind people that when you're hitting your protein macros, you are satiated. Whereas I know for myself, I don't, I'm, I tend to be low carb, almost ketogenic. That's where my happy place is. I know that if I start my day with carbs, I am never satiated the entire day. So I start with a lot of protein. This is usually where I encourage women to really be diligent. I love that you brought up the protein piece because it keeps you satiated. It helps, you know, on so many levels, keep your blood sugar stable. Uh, I'm very much a carnivore ish kind of person. I always say I'm not full carnivore because I like my vegetables, but I think it's really critically important. Once people start having eggs to break their fast, or they have a piece of steak or a piece of chicken or a piece of fish, it changes everything as opposed to sitting down and having a bagel or pancakes. And let me be very clear. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not suggesting that you never, that you don't enjoy something like that on occasion. If, if, if you tolerate gluten or you do well with it, but I think we have to flip the switch and talk about these needs to be the exception. We don't want to start our day with dessert and most of the granola bars, yogurts, et cetera, that are out there that people start their days with even protein, protein bars. I'll put it in quotes. They really aren't, in a position where it's helping to stabilize their blood sugar. So they're already starting their day off in a deficit and you're putting yourself in a position where, you know, that candy bar may look really enticing at lunch. And you may think about a soda in the afternoon, and then you may have dessert after dinner. And so you're setting yourself up for this tailspin where you're constantly chasing satiety and, and satiety really needs to be the focus. Mm, absolutely. And I find you tend to, you're, you're absolutely right. You, you tend to crave what you eat. So if mm -hmm. you start the day with carbs, you're going to crave them all day long. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, so true. And so in terms of exercise, let's talk about that as well. Cause you mentioned that people are often over exercising. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, certainly the research I've seen for longevity is to actually incorporate some polarization in your training, mm -hmm. lots of walking, and then lots of direct stimulus like heavy lifting, which a lot of women don't want to do. They don't want to strength train. They, they feel nervous about it. Um, can we talk a bit more about that and what yeah. the ideal exercise is? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that everyone listening, and I know here in the United States that I call it the cardio bunnies or the chronic cardio ladies, and it's well-meaning, but it's, you know, they got into this habit, they get a runner's high, they want to run every day. And maybe that serves you in your teens, your twenties, your early thirties. But most women that I see that are still avid runners look haggard. And, and what we want to do is mitigate this cortisol response, the stress response to our bodies. And I remind people that muscle is the organ of longevity. There's an incredible female physician researcher, Dr. Gabrielle Lyons. And so I always like to give credit where credit is due. I learned that through her. And she talks about muscle being the organ of longevity, how critically important it is to maintain muscle mass as we age. And so I touched on sarcopenia, which is this muscle loss with aging. So lifting weights is the most important thing you can do as you are getting older. I'm going to say that again, 
the most important thing you can do to maintain lean muscle mass and maintain your weight and your body composition and feel good about yourself and have plenty of energy is to maintain your muscle mass. And you have to stimulate muscle protein synthesis. You have to eat enough protein. You have to lift heavy things. I'm not saying that you have to go out and be a power lifter, but you need to be putting stress on those muscles several days a week. I love walking. I think walking outside in nature is a great thing for people to do. I think the pandemic on many levels has encouraged people to get, because there were so many times where people couldn't go to a gym. It was like, okay, I can walk outside, get outside, get it, you know, get some light exposure first thing in the morning. I think flexibility work is also important, um, whether that's yoga or Pilates or Tai Chi or whatever it is that you enjoy, you know, thinking about, you know, our flexibility of our muscles. We want to keep ourselves moving. We don't want to become sedentary. I think that's also super, super important. And then it's not to suggest that, you know, doing high intensity interval training or Tabata training isn't beneficial, but that shouldn't be what we do five days a week. That should be once or twice a week. And I think what I've come to find is more efficient workouts. Uh, you want to stress the body, tax the body, and you want to be able to do it in a shorter amount of time, you know, keep your heart rate elevated while you're lifting weights, uh, making sure that you're being super efficient. I always say, I never miss a leg day. I try not to miss back or, you know, my posterior chain day because there's so much bang for the buck, but if you have limited time, limited resources, there are lots of ways you can work your muscles without having to have a gym membership, without having to have heavy weights. I have lots of kettlebells. I have teenagers. So we've got part of a home gym. We have TRX bands. Um, I've got some lighter weights for me. They have some heavier ones. Uh, but I think it's really critically important for us to be proactive. I would say be proactive as opposed to reactive, but lifting weights is one of the best ways to help with insulin sensitivity. You know, we were talking and touching on blood sugar dysregulation. And I always like to point out like our muscles are a glucose reservoir. So if you're eating a big meal, recognizing that the more muscle mass you have, the more flexibility it's going to give you metabolically to be able to consume different types of foods, whether it's a dessert on occasion, a glass of wine, um, you know, having that donut every once in a while, I don't eat donuts, but I love dark chocolate. It allows me to have the flexibility to be able to do that. And, you know, the joke is always never miss a leg day. So really committing yourself to two to three days a week of strength training is a great kind of focus in terms of looking at how you plan out your week, how you plan out your exercise program. Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. And uh, I love Dr. Gabrielle Lyons. She's actually mm -hmm. um, interviewing her, I think, next week, in fact. Oh, so I'm looking forward to that. She's a good friend. She's awesome. Ah, lovely. Um, the other thing I think as well is women often worry, am I going to get big if I lift heavy? And it's like when you have definition and you're lifting, like I'll lift really heavy. You actually go smaller, not bigger in general. The big comes from the fact that you probably not metabolically flexible and have a layer of fat over the muscle. Um, and I think it's, I don't know what you found, but I found the acceleration of that combination of protein with strength training and lots of walking gets you lean very fast, especially yeah. if you're doing the intermittent fasting. And I think if people knew just how quick the results are and how transformational, <laughs> is that your dog? <laughs> just how transformational the results are, they would suck up the protein and, and just do it because it, it really is the easiest way. And, I don't know if you've noticed this, but I think the the advent of these online fitness classes mm -hmm. is what's led to people doing way, way too much. Mm -hmm. What is, I suppose, not even proper high intensity. It's just vigorous exercise. And so they'll do one class and then they'll do a class every day. And then it's mm -hmm. like, I'm not getting the results. And so now I'm doing two classes a day. 
we were never meant to do that amount of vigorous activity. Um, and that's what I found actually, when you start dialing things back, walking nature like you were describing the weight tends to just fall off right because you've communicated safety to the body right and i, I think that it, that's I don't know one if you of found the... that much more with your yeah. no i and absolutely in fact i did a webinar last night when it was one of the things that i was talking about that this concept of if a little bit of exercise works more is going to be better and i tell people you have to plan for recovery days you have to allow your body to repair, because if you're breaking down muscle, it's going to take a little bit. It's a good thing. You want to break down a little bit of that muscle so that you can build it. Um, there are a couple things physiologically that go on with women. We don't have enough circulating testosterone to get big. You know, if you see a woman that gets very muscular from lifting, she's probably taking exogenous steroids. And again, no judgment. It's just, it's very difficult physiologically for women to get bigger. But I do think it's also important. Like you want to exercise smarter, not harder. And I see a lot of people that want to do, and I'm, I'm going to pick on CrossFit only because it's a good indicator of people that I sometimes see that are really overdoing it. Or there's a program here called orange theory fitness. I don't know if you have that in the UK, but it's really intense, high intensity interval, um, combined with strength training. And it's just, it's intense. Like if someone did that exercise once a week, uh, as a woman North of 40, they'd probably be okay, but they have to allow themselves the opportunity to recover. And so I see a lot of people that desperately want to lose weight. And so they just think they have to punish their bodies. And I remind them that I have a woman who's in her, who's in her early fifties, who's in menopause and she's absolutely lovely. She's doing everything right. And, you know, trying to engineer what it was that she wasn't doing properly so that she could lose weight was fascinating. And I found out that she needed to do more uh, stimulation of the autonomic nervous system, the parasympathetic rest and repose side. And so just grounding work, putting her feet in the earth every day, all of a sudden she lost five pounds. And I mean, we had done everything else. We had checked every hormone, every test you can imagine. She ate pristinely, her sleep was good. And what I came to find out is that her body needed to know that she was safe. And so on so many levels, it's really figuring out the balance. And that's what it's all about. Finding the balance for your body. Like I can tell you, I don't work out the way I did 10 years ago. And if I did, my adrenals would be totally burned out and I probably would be super inflamed. And so as I've gotten older, my mindset is really focused on strength training, connection with nature, more recovery. Um, I love cryotherapy. I love the infrared sauna. Uh, I have no problems getting a massage once a month. And, and those are things that are good for my mental health as well. But for anyone that's listening, that's still in that mindset of, I have to run 10 miles a day. I have to lift really heavy afterwards. I'm exhausted all the time. It's a sign that your body is not being supported the way that it needs to. And so really kind of backing things up and, and honestly assessing how well that is serving you is really important. Yeah, I couldn't agree with that more. Um, and what about fuel after exercise? I think this is an area of confusion. Some people, are, I'm always asked questions around, you know, how quickly should I fuel? And from the research I've seen, actually having, for women in particular, having protein and carbs post-strength training is, is really positive and helps to moderate that cortisol response. Mm -hmm. um, is there a time of day or a specific routine that you found to work best with exercise? Um, for me, I'm very much a morning person. Yes. Well, I am, I am so much a morning person that if my husband suggests we go to the gym in the afternoon, I, it's, it requires a lot of mental effort for me to be ready to do that. Cause I like to work out fasted and typically I will structure my strength training days. 
on days I'll do a, a shorter fast. So I may do 16, 18, 20 hours a day, but on a day I strength train, if I get hungry at nine o'clock in the morning, I mean, genuinely hungry and I lifted three hours before I'll just break my fast early. And for me, I feel like, you know, generally my higher carbohydrate intake days are days that I have lifted weights. And that's just the way I've set things up. I usually have a, a higher carb day and then two moderate carb days. And that has been what has worked well for me. And I do encourage women to experiment with carb cycling, um, as it pertains to where they are in their cycle or, you know, how they're doing their strength training. But I agree with you wholeheartedly. Absolutely. The focus on protein, you know, easily digestible protein. I wouldn't be sitting down and having a ribeye. I might have a lean piece of fish. I might have chicken. I might have a, you know, beef filet, uh, or, you know, bison bison's been like my favorite, um, you know, meat as of late. Cause it's just super, super lean and easy for me to digest and kind of process, but doing that with some non-starchy carbs, or if it's a day I'm having a higher carb intake, deciding, you know, what do I want my carbs to come from that day? Do I want to have some low glycemic berries? Do I want to have some sweet potato? Do I want, you know, some squash and kind of tackling my day that way? I find those strategies work really well for women, but you know, there's a lot of emphasis, at least here in the United States, people are very grain focused. They want to have lots of rice. They want to have um, lots of grains. And I just remind people that again, that blood sugar response, really remaining attuned to what works for your body. Uh, you know, I, I did a bunch of glucometer testing on rice for me. There's a great book that Rob Wolf wrote called, um, wired to eat. And, uh, it really encourages kind of finding out for yourself bio-individuality wise, what carbohydrates, what the net impact is on your blood sugar. And so for me, I found that rice, I mean, even a quarter cup of rice spikes my blood sugar in really, you know, non-beneficial ways. And so, you know, I just navigate in a grain-free gluten-free environment. I do just fine, but it's very strategic. Like I, if I'm going to have a chip, it's probably going to have uh, it's probably going to be either cassava flour, not cassava flour. It's either going to be like, uh, there, there's a, a brand here in the States called Barnana, which is kind of a goofy name, but they have plantain chips that are made with coconut oil and sea salt. And so that's like a fun indulgence. And I, I do pretty okay with those kinds of things, but really moderating, finding, you know, what carbohydrates work well for your body and being honest about the ones that don't like I can eat a banana, but there are other types of carbs. If I eat them. Uh, my body doesn't mitigate my, the response to them all that well. So I think that, you know, also being cognizant of where you are in your menstrual cycle, recognizing you're more insulin sensitive, at the beginning part of your cycle, uh, you know, you become less insulin sensitive as the day goes on. So if I'm going to have carbs, it's going to be midday. It's not going to be, you know, nine o'clock at night. So I don't really enjoy eating dessert. If I'm going to have a dessert, it's going to be earlier in the day. I'd rather have my dinner done and had that dessert in by five or six o'clock at night than eating it later in the evening. So really just getting strategic about when you're having those carbs, when you're having that protein after workout, but much to your point, I'm a morning worker outer and I prefer working out fasted. Mm, I'm absolutely the same. Even though if mm -hmm. you look at the circadian clock, it kind of suggests you should be working out between two and five. I'm absolutely mm -hmm. the same as you. If it's not done by lunchtime, it's probably never going to happen yep. or at least not without some kind of forcing myself. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and just to kind of round off then, let's sort of finish talking about fats because you were mm -hmm. saying you eat a lot of, um, like quite a high fat intake. Mm -hmm. Your skin looks beautiful and oh, glowing. Thank you. Thank um, you. Do you focus predominantly on more sort of fats like avocado, olive oil, nuts, or do you eat higher saturated fat? How do you apportion your fats and what have you found to work? 
Yeah, for me personally, and this is the only time you'll hear me say a plant-based reference of any kind, uh, I do better with lighter fats and lighter fats like olive oil, olives, uh, coconut oil, things like that. I do much better with than, uh, you know, lard or tallow or duck fat. As much as I like duck fat, if I eat duck fat, I'm going to probably not feel so great a few hours afterwards. They're just a little bit too heavy for my body. Obviously I get some saturated fats and some of the meat choices that I make, but I tend to do better with leaner cuts of meat, which I know, you know, the people that eat nose to tail, people that eat a ton of organ meat, sometimes that triggers them. And I'm like, listen, you have to do what works for your body. My body does better with leaner meat. And I prefer leaner meat, leaner fish. Although I do like salmon, I do like tuna, which tend to be a little bit higher fat content. So I think a lot of it's experimentation. The one thing I do see women in particular doing a disservice is it's very easy to overeat fats. By this, I mean, it's over, it's easy to overeat cheese. It's easy to overeat nuts. So really being diligent. Like I have, I have a thing for salted macadamia nuts and I will literally portion out a quarter cup in a bowl and I put the rest of it away. And, and my family knows it's like, I get that one portion and I'm done. I don't do dairy. So that's not a problem, but it's very hard to limit ourselves to portions. Like how many people really eat just an ounce of cheese? Like in all actuality, you know, it's like most people are having probably four or five ounces of cheese that is sitting. They just don't realize it because it's just, you know, they're, it's so hyper palatable. It's very easy between the, the fat content, um, you know, and a little bit of protein, a little bit of carbs that are all in there. It's very easy to overeat it. So from my perspective, I'm very much of the plant-based fats. That's what I, what I digest better. Um, even though I take digestive support for digesting my fats, as well as a few other digestive supports, that's what fuels my body better. And I tend to make better choices because I'm, I'm very diligent. That's the only thing I really measure are, are my healthy fats because it's so easy to overeat them. Mm. And I find the fats as well, actually just really help with that brain concentration yep. that we, that you were talking about. Um, what would you say to vegans that are listening to this, who are struggling to get their protein in and, and can't get as many sort of omega threes and things from oily fish? Yeah, I think it's challenging. I have to be honest with you because we know plant-based proteins are not the same as animal-based proteins. I respect people's choices, obviously. Um, I, I think the biggest challenge that I find with most vegans is that they're trying to do things. They're trying to not overconsume carbohydrates, but they're not satiated because they're not getting enough. They're not getting enough like animal-based protein, which would be much more satiating. They're relying predominantly on lentils and things like that. And, and, and there's a place for foods like that, of course. But I think that the challenge I find is that most vegans are very, very low on protein, um, you know, they're, they're highly unsatiated. And so that starts a vicious cycle. And, and I just find out that their diets tend to be too heavily based on carbs. And maybe you get away with that in your twenties, maybe your early thirties, but the closer you're getting to middle age, the more challenging it becomes. And I think that there's unknowingly on many levels, we've really done a disservice. You know, there's very much this polarization of people that are pro animal consumption, people that are against animal consumption, it's gotten so polarizing that we're no longer listening to one another. We're no longer having an open discussion. It's just become a lot of hateful, spe hateful speech, uh, going back and forth. And so I, I think that can be completely challenging. Do you have a lot of your, um, your viewers and listeners that are vegan? 
I come across it some, I do more and more. And I think what I've struggled with is, you know, even when I'm putting together meal plans for people mm -hmm. on some of my programs, I just, you cannot get the protein mm -hmm. high enough. And I think, as you say, so rightly there, it broke up a little bit, unfortunately, I lost yeah. a bit of reception, but I think, you know, the, the point is, as you say, in your twenties, you can get away with it. You yeah. have naturally more muscle mass. I think as you go through, you progress through your thirties and all the changes that occur as well. Mm -hmm. If women have had babies and then they're trying to get back in shape. Um, I think it's very challenging. I also think that um, veg with a vegetarian diet, it's a bit easier because you've got things mm -hmm. like eggs. And, and yep. if you're not sensitive to dairy, um, you can have that. However, with a vegan diet, it's almost impossible to follow it and not have some form of supplementation somewhere. And, and on that basis, I think I find it, I absolutely respect people's decisions for it, mm -hmm. but I find it harder to advocate it myself because I feel like we should, we, yes, we've depleted mm -hmm. our soil. And so we probably need supplementation for that mm -hmm. reason. But in theory, we should be able to get everything we need from our diet. And I think, mm -hmm. yeah, so for me, I'd, I'd certainly feel that women um, and men, right, really do benefit from eating animal foods. And that, yeah. a lot of times it comes up in the context of iron, when women have mm -hmm. really low ferritin levels and they're trying to supplement with it and they're not getting their iron levels high enough. Mm -hmm. And just understanding that meat contains heme iron it's so much yeah. more bioavailable for you. Um, so I think, yeah, for me, it really has its challenges on a number of levels for, from a health perspective more than anything Absolutely. else. Absolutely. And I find, you know, I've had many uh, prior vegans that have become patients of mine and it takes a bit of time to write the course of, I, I think people, when they go from eating, a, let's say a standard American diet to a vegan diet, that's largely unprocessed, they can do amazing things for their bodies. And, and, you know, I, I want to be clear about the fact that I've seen people do a lot of benefit, but long-term veganism tends to be, uh, they're just not getting enough high quality protein. As I stated before, you know, plant-based protein is not akin to animal-based protein on any way, shape or form. And it's usually too high carbohydrates. So people are never mm -hmm. satiated. I don't care how many cups of quinoa you eat. It is never going to be equivalent to, you know, six ounces of steak. And I just find for a lot of women, they end up coming to me because they're like, this worked for me for six months, but now is no longer working for me. Mm -hmm. And again, I'm not, I, I, you know, we're not here to, to debate the, the, you know, the, the politics around this, because I know it is very polarizing and you always want to be sensitive to, you know, people's ideologies and, and their mindset. But I always come from the place of just education that most of the vegetarians that I even interact with, they struggle to get enough protein. So they tend to be very thin if they're eating predominantly vegetables and maybe they're having some eggs, but most of the women that are doing even plant-based keto, uh, they're struggling with protein intake. Like they're probably getting 50 grams of protein in a day. And I'm like, that's way inefficient. Uh, it's, it's insufficient to be able to maintain lean muscle mass, let alone just be able to be satiating. And, and as, as I said before, protein is really the key to satiety for keeping your appetite in check, for keeping your blood sugar stable. And so I, I think that that education piece is so important, you know, irrespective of where people are on their journey, just being really mindful of how macros really stack up. You know, if you can, you know, step away from a meal and feel completely satiated, it's like, okay, that's a good choice for me. Or if you step away from a meal and you're thinking about, oh, I need a protein bar and then I want some candy and then I'm going to go grab a soda. And so it's like, you're never, you're constantly chasing satiety and you're just never achieving it. Yeah, I agree. Totally. And I think also as well with like, 
B vitamins, they're quite, quite, quite hard to come by if you're not having any meat. So then you're really relying on whole grains, which is not great because then those are a lot quite highly processed. And I think, you know, again, when you look at people's genetics, some people have SNPs that, you know, they do actually need more B vitamin support. And I think it's just, if you're making that decision just to educate yourself as much as you can on what it might mean for your health long term, um, because I think it's important. Um, it's been so great to have you on the show. What are your, any last tips that you want to share, Cynthia? Um, I'd love to have you back nearer the launch of your book. I think you've yeah. shared so much today. Yeah, um, no. Um, I, I think the biggest thing is just trusting the process. You know, any of the things that we've talked about today, I'm not suggesting anyone change everything all at once. Maybe it's one thing. Maybe you go to bed a little earlier. Maybe instead of doing CrossFit or really intense exercise, you you know, make some effort and time to, to, you know, meet with a trainer in the gym, even if it's just for one session to learn how to properly, uh, you know, properly stack a program together that you can work off of. Maybe you're just fasting for an hour longer a day. Maybe you're doing 12 hours of digestive rest and maybe scoot it to 13. All of these things incrementally have large benefits for our body and our health. And, uh, you know, none of us that are, that are, you know, being interviewed have, gone from zero to 60. I always say like some things were easier for me on my health journey than others. Uh, some things took me a lot longer to wrap my head around, but I can assure you that certainly over the last, um, I, I just had a big birthday this past summer, but over the last 50 years, I've learned a lot. And I think it's really helpful when people can say like, I've been through this, I understand. And, uh, I can assure you that, you know, I'm doing the things I'm, I'm suggesting to my patients and to my clients. Um, I live what I preach as I'm sure you do as well. And, and I think, you know, having a healthy lifestyle is one of the best gifts you can give your body. Absolutely. Where can um, people find you so we can link to it all in the show notes? Yeah. So probably easiest, my website's a great place to start www.cynthiatherlow.com. I'm active on Instagram and Twitter, and I have a private Facebook group uh, that's free. It's Cynthia Thurlow backslash intermittent fasting lifestyle. I have a great podcast as well called everyday wellness. And uh, I interview the best and the brightest in the health and wellness space. And, uh, yeah, and I tend to my, as much as it frustrates my team, I try to answer all the DMS that we get on social media myself personally. Uh, cause I like being connected. I like having a good sense of what people are curious about, what they want to learn more about. So if you reach out to me on social media, more than likely, I will be the person responding to that, uh, until I can't do that anymore. And I've got a book coming out in March of 2022. Uh, it's all about intermittent fasting and women being published by penguin random house. And I'm super excited about it. That's so exciting. Oh, yeah. wow. It's going to be an amazing six months. Thank you so much for coming on the show. We will link to all of that in the show notes. Sounds great. I'm curious, have you been experimenting with intermittent fasting and maybe you've been brave enough to do something like a 72 hour water only fast, or you're a bit like myself. I tend to do more a 12 to 16 hour daily fast, depending on how much exercise I've been doing. But I'd love to hear about what you're doing. So send me a DM over on Instagram at Angela S. Foster or tag me if you're listening to this episode. I love connecting with you all. I still personally read my DMs and get back to people as quickly as I can. So definitely connect with me there. Um, thanks again for listening to this episode. As always, the show notes and the transcript will be over on my website, AngelaFosterPerformance.com forward slash podcast. Thanks for listening. Remember to review and subscribe. You can grab the show notes, the resources and highlights of everything Angela mentioned over at AngelaFosterPerformance.com. 
You can also snatch up plenty of other goodies, including the highly helpful Angela Recommends page, which is a list of everything she personally recommends to optimise your mind, body and lifestyle.